0: Right, y'all find First Corinthians chapter four, and we're in the last little, last little nugget of the first section of First Corinthians, and uh, we're going to be right in this chapter for a few weeks, and uh, I'm going to go as far as I can go today. And today, well, we're all on the hot seat, but the pastor's on the hot seat. Y'all been waiting on this, right? So, uh, so uh, let's read our passage in 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 4, title of the message is Mystery Managers, and I'll develop that for you in just a minute, uh, a little bit better, but you, you'll pick up on it right here. We're looking for three points, first five verses is uh, about the mystery managers, and then 6 through 13, we'll talk about uh, a spiritual spectacle. And then a faithful father in 14 through 21 will develop this. And so Paul says, a person should consider us in this way, that we're servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. Mystery managers, Are y'all with me? Right there. And then he says, in, in this regard, it's expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any human court. And in fact, I don't even evaluate myself, Paul says. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely or your Bible probably says the appointed time, which I like better, before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. So now you'll remember, this is the first four sections, and the book of Corinthians deals with uh, divisions in the church and so the biggest problem that the people in Corinth had was picking out who the leaders were that they thought were the best leaders. A little bit of preacher worship, apostle worship going on there. And so from that and through that, Paul says, listen, he, he went through the, the entire first three chapters and he says, listen, don't put men on a pedestal. We're all the same. We're all cut out of the same cloth. Paul says, man's man's wisdom is not where it's at. And he says, don't fight over these things in the church and then uh, next we're going to go to from chapters five through seven we're going to look at sexual immorality and then Paul's going to talk about food offered to idols in eight nine and ten and then he's going to deal with worship and then the theology of the resurrection And and then Paul's going to close it out in chapter 16. So this was so serious in that day that the people in the church were not getting along, that Paul had to come again. And Paul had already mentioned this to them. In chapter 5, verse 9, he says, In the other letter that I wrote to you, You didn't receive it very well. That's called the previous letter. So many of you may not know, there's actually four letters that Paul wrote. We only have two of them. So there was a previous letter, and Paul says, this is what I want you to do. It wasn't received very well, so Paul writes 1 Corinthians. And then there's a severe letter that's missing. Unfortunately, the leader had to get on to them very severely. I wish we could find that severe letter, but we don't have it. And then there's 2 Corinthians, which is actually the fourth letter that Paul wrote to them. So we we come to this. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you view a leader. And I'm going to take myself off the hot seat a little bit. Paul's actually talking about uh, apostles. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about the bishop. He's talking about whatever, the apostles, whomever you want to talk about in leadership. Paul says, let's cover the, the gamut. But Paul says to them, he says, since he's already told them, don't worry about whether Cephas, Apollos, Barnabas or Paul or whoever, and then somebody in the church got spiritual and says, Well, I only follow Jesus. Well, that's cute if you're really following Jesus, but Paul says, Here's what you're supposed to do. And I love this. So you may have always been in church your whole life and you wondered, How am I supposed to treat my pastor? What's my pastor supposed to do? And I can promise you what I preach today, most pulpit search committees never look for a man like this. They'll they'll search for they'll wait for two years before they ever call a pastor when they lose the pastor, and they'll go listen to him preach one time and say, Man, that guy can preach. Let's hire him. And he may not have any of these characteristics. And so here's what Paul says, first thing. A person should consider us in this way. Now, that's very unique because you, you you may have never thought about that. But Paul says, listen, here's how you're supposed to handle the leadership in the church. This is what the leadership is supposed to look like. He says, here's what I want you to do. Consider this. I started to, to entitle the message today, uh, So You Want to Be a Leader. So there's so many people that want to be the leader. And, and there's fights all over the Southern Baptist Convention today about what you call your leader. And should we call our pastor Apostle, wouldn't that be something? Y'all call me Apostle Jerry Gray or Bishop Jerry Gray. I want to tell you, I want to be what Jesus was, and Jesus called himself a shepherd. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter if you call your pastor the elder of the church. It doesn't matter if you call your deacons elders or deacons or whatever. Enough fighting, Paul says, enough divisions in the church. It's not so important what you call your leader as the character of the leader that you call. Yeah, they've been fighting about Calvinism for years. I said, listen, don't worry about Calvin. Don't worry about predestination. Just get out there, beat the bushes, and you'll find some elect and some people will get saved. Our job is not to elect or predestine anybody. Our job is to find them. I need some help up in here this morning. So the first thing that we're going to look at, listen, here's what in Luke, Jesus said this, you're stewards. Paul said, here's how I want you to consider your pastor. He's a steward. He, he's a person who's a manager, but he's been put in charge of this. Now listen very carefully in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 and following. And by the way, these, ner- these notes are online. So you just if you don't get the passages, it's okay. I'd rather you listen. You can take notes. That's fine. That's good. I need to do that. But it's online if you miss something. So just hang in there with me, okay? Y'all are so OCD. If somebody don't get the passage right, you won't be able to sleep tonight. It's okay. We'll have them online. Everything's there, all right? Be dressed and, and ready to serve and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for the master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and he knocks on the door, they can immediately open the door. Now, if I come to your house sometime, if I just show up, I went to see an old friend not too long ago, and it was a girl I used to know in college, and uh, we were, I found her on Facebook. And so last time I was in Lincolnton, I stopped by and knocked on the door. and She opened the door, and she said, You could have let me know you were coming. I've been in the garden all day, and I'll be right back. She shut the door, and she came back. And she looked like a new person. And I just thought to myself, how many of y'all, you know what a good friend is? A good friend is somebody that knocks on the door, and you open the door and say, y'all, come on in. Stuff's in the fridge. And you go back and sit down and start watching the ball game. They're comfortable in your house. It's okay. Y'all all right? But, but you, you know, what's bad is we, we don't want we, people come with us like we start to cleaning up. We don't want them to think we live like that all the time. Jesus said, listen, the spiritual application is this. While he's gone, we're stewards. He put us in charge of his business. And so here, can I just say this? When people show up at your house, it's too late to start cleaning up. Just let them come in. If there's dishes in the sink, they're in the sink. Y'all all all right? If, If your drawers are hanging out on the thing, they're just there. You might grab them, put them in your pocket on the way by, but you left them out. And I ought to tell you, some of us are going to get caught with dishes in the sink when Jesus comes. Y'all right? Yeah. Managers, you're the mystery managers of Jesus' business. He said it'll be good. Verse thirty-eight for those servants whose master finds them ready when he comes. You see, you're a good servant when somebody comes to your door and you open it up. You know, Charlie coming to my house, I don't care. I was like. Doug and Carol come by all the time. They live by me. They check on me. They come and knock on the door. I say, y'all, come on in. And they sit down, and they love on Mama, and they love on me. And the house is usually a disaster when they come. And I don't care. I say, look, Charlie picked that up and cleaned them dishes. (laughs) So y'all all all right. (laughs) And by the way, he ain't cleaned any dishes yet. You got to be ready. But you can't clean your house. I had a girl named Rooney Whitaker that discipled your pastor when I first got saved. And her house was a total disaster. But her house was open. And I went there and I felt comfortable. She, you know, she just got home from work and she had bad health. And, you know, we went by, I cut her grass. I don't know how many times I fixed her plumbing. But I want to tell you what she did do. She did some eternal things when I came. She spoon fed me the gospel of Jesus Christ. She discipled me, taught me how to do a, a, a quiet time. All those things that a young Christian needs to know. And I loved her so deeply. She was a precious person. Look in Genesis chapter twenty four. We get a good view of this. The the servant was trusted. Here's what it says. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant. Abraham had a chief servant that took care of his business. And here's what he says. The one thing, he says, listen, he was in charge of his whole household, and, and the one in charge of everything that Abraham said, he said, listen here. Put your hand under my thigh. That was an Old Testament pinky promise. That's what it was. And so... Pinky promises are important. Next time you do a pinky promise, it's serious business. Abraham said, put your hand under my thigh and promise me this, that when I'm dead and gone, you won't let my son get a wife from the pagans. Here's what he was saying. It says here, when I'm gone, tend my business. And here's where we are today. Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to understand God left us in charge of his business. And I want to ask you this morning, pastors on the spot this morning, Because he's talking about the leader or those leaders. But Paul was saying this to the church. And he said, listen, I'm gone. I died. I rose again. I went back to heaven. And I put you in charge of my business. And so we're going to talk about mystery managers today. In verse 1, Paul says, I want you to consider this. The Greek word is logizomai. You can hear the word logos in there. And Paul says, here's how I want you to reckon your leader. Here's what I want you to think about him. I want you to know first and foremost that he's the servant. He, the, the King James Version, I love it. The King James actually gets it a little better here than the Holman Christian. He says, here's the minister. I want you to consider me a minister. Well, who is a minister? Listen very carefully to this because a lot of people want to be a, a leader in church. And praise the Lord that many of you are leaders and want to be leaders. But here's what the leader actually does. And I love this. When I get through this, I'm going to give you a great illustration of what this, what this means. He says, a uh, 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 hooper etase. Now, some of you from the medical field, you know when somebody's hypoglycemic, hypo means low. If it's hyper, some of you ladies had hyperthyroid. Some of you guys had too, you just don't know it. <laughs> Ryan. But I, it, it's. Uh, <laughs> Eretase means to row. And so he says, you're the, the lowest hypo, hypo, hyper, hypo, hypo air He says, you're the lowest rower in the ship. And they didn't have motors back in this day. There were There were people who were slaves and servants at the bottom of the ship, and they were rowing. And those guys were down in the bottom. It was hotter down there. It was more uncomfortable, and it was more difficult than any other place. I remember the first time that Sanford came, and, And we had a fellowship and we were moving chairs. And Bo and Sanford said, No, no, Pastor, Pastor, don't do that. Pastor, I got that. We're going to move those chairs. And I said, Not around here, Sanford. The pastor has to work. I get thrown out of here if I don't. Do you remember when we had our Christmas meal? Our associational missionary came, Chris Connor came you know what i'm going to say and then we were moved, and after christmas dinner we always take the chairs out and we usually really vacuum pretty well and we clean and and we uh, most of the time shampoo the carpet and i looked up and our associational missionary was here had the vacuum plugged in was over here with the vacuum cleaner and i said that's my guy that is a servant a minister of jesus christ if you're if you going to go call a man of god you go get you a leader the first thing that you need to look for is this man is he a servant? And if he's not a servant, you don't need him. I've, I've told everybody that's ever come on staff at Woodlake, if you can't clean the toilets, you can't be on staff here. You all right? Servant. Now, there's times that I have to, we, most times I have to turn those things over to you so I can attend to the Word. That's my first job. But I'm not beyond cleaning the bathrooms. Have done it. I mean, we, we do those things. Next thing, look, he's a mystery manager. Man, I love this. If you're doing ministry, you're a servant. But if you're a leader, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if specifically if you're a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a leader or a deacon, as a matter of fact, one of the qualifications, everybody looks at the marriage issue for deacons. Did you know that one of the greatest qualifications of a deacon is he's apt to teach? Did you know that? We overlook all the really, really, really important things. He says, the manager of a man's belongings is really a big deal. Some people will say to me, now, Pastor, you just, you just preach and we'll take care of everything else. Not biblical. I'm the manager of the house. You say, really, Brother Jerry? Absolutely. The Greek word for manager here is oikonomos. And you know these two words because I've taught them to you. The first one is oikos. And the word oikos is not the Greek yogurt that y'all been buying. The word oikos is on that yogurt for a reason. It means wholesome, household, family. That's what it's all about. It's the house. It's the oikos. When, when the Bible says Jesus went into the house, that's what he did. He went into the oikos. He went into the house. The second word is namas, which is law. The, the leader... When you go into your Sunday school classroom, your Sunday school teacher is the minister of uh, the minister, the manager of that Sunday school class. He's the lawmaker in the house. When something gets out of hand, he has to handle that. And so, when folks say to me, "Well, Brother Jerry, you just preach; we'll have everything else. We'll take care of." No, I'm the watcher of this place. I'm the steward. I'm supposed to be on the job. I'm supposed to see everything on. And, you know, I stand there at the door. Somebody the other day told me, said, Brother Jerry, you stand out here and laugh and joke and, and cut up and hug everybody. But you're watching what's going on, aren't you? I said, you better believe it. I hear more things and see more things that I'm with you than you ever think I do. God's given me the spirit of discernment, and I know where you are, and I know what you're doing. And I know when you come out that door, I can look at your face and tell where you are. You're my sheep. I know you. He's, I'm the manager of the house. The word for namas, the, the oikos and namas, those, those two put together means the house of the law. I'm the law here. Amen. If somebody comes and, and misrepresents Jesus in this pulpit, I'm not going to put that off on the deacons. I'm the one who ropes them in and says, don't ever say that in my pulpit again. And if you get off track and get out of, if, if you're away from Genesis and maps and you start off on some craziness, you won't ever get back in the pulpit. Amen. Y'all all right? And and I'm going to tell you right now, the church of Jesus Christ is in bad shape now because there's men who aren't ruling their house well. They're not watching their children. They're not watching over things. And you you may reject my help. That's fine. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm setting the standard. You all right? It means overseer, financial overseer, the physical agent. I'm supposed to know. Your leader's supposed to know what the financial situation of the church actually is. It's the, it's the preacher of the gospel. It's the chamberlain. Uh, a, a Chamberlain is, I love this one. I looked up the word chamberlain. It means the, the ruler of nobility. <laughs> and then I got to thinking. No, it says the ruler of nobility. That makes y'all the nobility, not me. So, so you can scratch that one. All right. The pastor is the steward of the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? If I don't have time to read. I put in your notes. They're online if you want them. If you want these notes, there's, there's 40 passages of Scripture there about the mysteries of God. What am I supposed to tend over? The pastor and the leaders of the church are the managers of the mysteries of the calling of God. And here's what some of them say in Romans 11. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you might be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. The the whole process of how you got saved as a Gentile is in the book, and Paul calls it a mystery. I'm a manager of that. I'm supposed to explain that to you. Romans sixteen twenty-five. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and to proclaim uh, Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages. The Jews in the in the days of the New Testament, they didn't understand what you and I understand now. They don't understand what's going on uh, about the, the book of Revelation and how we're waiting on the second coming of Christ. They don't know about the appointed time that Paul talks about here. I do. I'm a born-again believer and so are you. And you're on the other side of the cross. You have the canon of Scripture, which is complete. You have more information than anyone in the Old Testament about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been revealed to us. I am a mystery manager. I'm the manager, the steward, and in the house of God over the things of God. And if you hired a lazy preacher, you messed up. If he doesn't come with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if he's not been in it all week and chewing the cut on it, he doesn't have anything to give you. I'm worried to death I can't get past this point this morning. I got more stuff for you than I'll ever give you. You're going to have to read it yourself. And I want to tell you if you don't read it, you're missing it because it touched my soul. Y'all all right? 1 Corinthians 2.7 is probably the best place that we've already preached. No, we speak God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God uh, destined for our glory before time. My job is to take the hidden wisdom of God and reveal it to that lost man who thinks I'm an idiot. He wonders, what is all this religious garbly-gook about? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why are you so happy? Because I know that while we were singing a while ago, Jesus could come. And we, I'd just be gone with him. And all the skeptics would be left to go to hell. And it's my job to say to you as a lost person, you may not understand what Jesus is doing. But I, I promise you with every fiber of my being that the mystery of salvation has been revealed. And I'm not the only one. This room is filled with people who understand it. I'm destined for the glory in and, and 1 Corinthians 13 too, I have the gift of prophecy and I can, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Paul says the Lord through the way of the Holy Spirit has revealed the truth of the Scripture to me. That's so why a lost man hears the Scripture and he thinks that is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's the reason that a little girl at Home Depot says to me, I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. What do I need him for? It literally crushed me for two weeks. It burdened my heart. You see, her eyes have blinded. It's my job every time. Listen, the reason you don't want a lazy preacher, every time I come to this pulpit, here's what I think about it. I am here to reveal the truth of the mystery about Jesus Christ to you. And I want you to understand who he is with every fiber of my being. Every opportunity I get to share, I, in 40 years of ministry, I've never come to the pulpit. God is my witness unprepared. I don't even take a little, So I go over to, to Trinity and, and teach the students during chapel. I prepare for that. It's a chance to put the light on it, it's a chance to bring it to light. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 through 4, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that this is the mystery that he has made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly in reading these things to you, that you might understand the mystery of Christ. Paul says, I've been called to revealing the mystery of God. In Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, listen, this is the hottest spot. Then I've got to move on because time is moving. And to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery which for ages past was kept hidden by God who created everything. Listen, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. My job is to say to everyone every time they hear me preach, the church of Jesus Christ is proof. That the wisdom of God is greater than man's wisdom. And the church is constantly in the face of our culture and in our world. And it's saying the manifold wisdom of God has been revealed in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. God tell me, I don't know what I'm preaching Sunday. I just want to punch him. <laughs> what are you talking about? Your job. How big is the manifold wisdom of God? You don't have anything to preach? How about the revelation? Let me just do this. Let me just listen. Let me skip all these passages and just get to this one. Right, therefore, Revelation 119. You know what Revelation 1-1 says? Before I get to that, this is good. You know what Re- Who knows what Revelation 1-1? Don't look. Charlie, don't look. What is that? <laughs> revelation 1-1. You know what it says? Somebody look it up and say it. Come on. What does it say? Say it, baby. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brother I don't know what revelation is all about. It's in 1-1. It's like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. I mean, this is Revelation 1-1. This book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. You need something to preach, Preacher? How about preach that Jesus came and died on the cross, was raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again? That'll work. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the golden lampstand is this the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the leaders. And what are they doing? They're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, revelation 10, 7. But in the last days, when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. Just as he said. I had a friend of mine, actually, she won't mind. It was Tony's wife. She said, listen, she said somebody had died, and we were talking about it. And she said, my, my grandmama used to say, the secret has been revealed to her now. Oh, I like that. Gosh, I like that. See, you, you may not believe me now, but I want to tell you, the mystery has been revealed to me, and it's my job to, to put you on the right side of the mystery because I don't want you to find out the mystery is true when you get there. I'm a mystery manager. I'm here to beg you in the name of Jesus. Do you think all these people are in here following me? They're not following me. They don't just believe what I'm telling them. They believe this book and Jesus is coming. He's already come and he's died for my sins. He lives in my heart, and I know. I know he. Ble- I'm so sorry on the inside, but he still blesses my life. He is alive. Let me just tell you. Somebody say glory. Listen in Matthew chapter 13, the disciples asked Jesus this. He said, "Lord, listen very carefully." And I'm moving to the next point. Got to go. He talked about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The, Matthew 13 has the phrase in it uh, about the kingdom of God over and over again. The kingdom of God is like. Did you, did you know that? And here's what Jesus said. The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And here's what Jesus said to them. The, golly, this is so good. This is so true. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. If you understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Now listen to this. Listen. Whoever has will be given more, and you'll have it in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. You know what it says? He's talking about the Jews. He said the Jews were given everything, the prophets, the law, the word of God, The temple, they were given everything. They rejected Christ. And what happened, it came to us. Guess what? If we don't manage it well, what will happen? United States of America will happen. That's what happened. Beware, preacher. Beware, preacher. You just keep on, preacher. You just love the culture. You do what the culture says. You give in and watch what happens to your ministry and watch what happens to you when Jesus comes. Y'all all all right? Number 2, verse 2, he's faithful. He's faithful to what? He's faithful to God and the Word of God, period. Paul says in verse number 2, this servant, he's a manager of the mysteries. In regard, while you're thinking about this, it is expected of the manager that each one of them be found faithful. The preacher is to be faithful to God and to the Word, not to anyone else. Now, I'm not talking about iron sharpens iron. I know when we come together, and if you come to me and say, Brother Jerry, I've got something against you. I think you have a problem. You need to work on this. I'm going to the prayer closet with it. I'm not going to disregard it. I'm going to pray about it. You all okay? But notice he says, it is expected of you. That's not a suggestion. It's expected of you. And I've met some lazy people. Man, I've met some lazy people in the ministry. Some of these young boys coming along that day, they don't have any, I mean, they're just not going to make it. They don't understand the sacredness of the calling, the importance of the calling. It's a, it's a, it's a job, and I'm going to tell you, it's not a job, it's a calling. I wouldn't do this and put myself under this kind of pressure and this kind of responsibility under the Father without His calling. I can't do anything else because He won't let me. And I want you to know, every encounter with a lost person and with my sheep is an opportunity to reveal the mystery. I'm telling you, it is such a blessing. Listen, we have to work like like, it, like never before. Nehemiah said this, that the people had a mind to work. Proverbs twelve twenty seven says that a lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. I used to go fishing with my daddy. We'd come home. My daddy was lazy, but I was the son. And my daddy, we'd fish all night. We'd go night fishing at Clark Hill, and we'd come home, and daddy said, boy, clean them fish. And he went and got into bed. And I thought to myself, when I read that passage and I understood it, uh, but you know what? you never kill a deer and hang him up in the barn and leave him. Oh, and you don't do that, do you? You don't leave him. You, you clean, your, you roast your game. How lazy is a man that would go fishing, have a, have a, a cooler full of fish, and let him sit on the back porch and, and spoil and go rot because he 's too lazy to clean them. Think about all the things that the Lord has given us. We have to be found faithful in the things of God. Somebody say glory. Listen, I'm facing to get you right here, so hang on. Proverbs 26, 15. The sluggard, bur- <laughs> the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it up to his mouth. Y'all ever seen those funny home videos where the kids are eating at the table and they're sleepy? Boop, and he's got oatmeal all over his face. I'm gonna tell you, I put these notes online. I work hard, I put them on there, we proof them. Do all this stuff and put them on there. And some people come to me and say, well, I can't find anything to read. I'm going to tell you. You're like that sluggard. Your face is falling down in it and you're not even, you don't even care. You're too lazy to even put it back up to your mouth. I need a new devotional book. I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm spending so much time on Facebook. Pick your Bible up. Ecclesiastes 10, 18. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. You ever seen a man sit there in the house with the house leaking? He's too lazy to go up there and put a tarp on the roof? I mean, come on. Let's keep moving. Verse number 3. I want to tell you I'm crucified with Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a leader... First thing I tell people when they say, "Brother Jerry, can I handle that ministry? I'll take over." Yes, and you're going to get criticized. You have to be crucified to Christ. This is ministry. This is leadership. Paul says it is little importance. Now listen, y'all listen to me right here. Some of y'all could get freed up right here. Some of you right now, you get freed up for life. You don't need no you don't need a psychiatrist. You don't need to go get counseling. You don't need to read That silly book everybody reads about being codependent or having good self-esteem. Listen to me, I'm free you up. Y'all want to get freed up this morning? Just get freed up. I want you to, (laughs) I'll toughen you up. Y'all ready to get some hide on you? Some of you get freed up. What I'm saying is now, and don't hear me wrong. I'm good with I'm good with iron sharpens iron. Okay, I'm good with that because that's what we're here for. But I am so sick of people telling me they don't like me. What did Paul say right here? What did he say? Look right there. Look at it. Paul says, it's of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or even a human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. Look, come on. I am not conscious, verse 4, of anything against myself, but that does not justify me. Paul says, you can't judge me because you can't judge yourself. Paul says, I can't even judge me. Even if I think I'm not guilty, I'm guilty. Y'all right? And here's why you shouldn't worry about what people think about you. Now, if somebody comes to you and says, I need to talk to you. Can we pray about this? I want to tell you, you have a character flaw. This is going to get you in trouble, blah, blah, blah. And they want to sit down and really pray with you, and they love you. And it's your best friend, right? But people just who hang around church that are critical about everything, and they got a chip on their shoulder, you know, there's some men that didn't, didn't make the baseball team or the football team, and they've been trying to tackle somebody ever since. <laughs> some of you get mad with God, and I'm God's representative. You take it out on me. And I'm a big boy. I can take that. But some of the other po- folks can't. And Paul says, I don't really care what y'all think about me. Hello? People are critical. Listen, people are critical because they want to pull you down to their level of insignificance. Can I tell you this? In Jesus' name, here's, here's the truth, most truthful thing you're going to hear this week. 90% of all character attacks upon you are because of jealousy. If you're doing well at something, you're going to get criticized. Just know it. Just know it. People pick your flaws out to help themselves feel better about their disobedience to Christ. Number one thing. People criticize because they don't have all the information. Listen to me, I'm free up right here from being a negative critical purpose person. Right here. The way things look is not how they are. If as my kid, I tell you how I tell you what I do. I'm gonna tell you about all the things I was gonna do when I was an associate pastor. If that joker did that on my watch, I'd fire that joker. Well, that's brilliant. Then you'd have to do it, stupid. Listen. Y'all don't tell Mark I said this, okay? When I was at Center Hill, I was associate pastor. I told our pastor one time, I said, if that joker did that, I would fire him. Y'all think Mark Hall's been used? Only Christian group I know has been to North Korea and preached the gospel. God had his hand on him. His administrative nightmare. You know who was stupid? We were. We should have got him a secretary. We couldn't afford to do that. Couldn't afford not to. You know who rescued us and them? Volunteers. God didn't call him to be an administrator. He was a kid magnet. Had 90 kids in the, in the chapel. Had a great group. The New Life Rookies what they were called new life rookies that's what they we are called you know what they're called now casting crowns and i sat outside yesterday and listened to it on my phone while i was working in my garden and tears filled my eyes because the holy spirit of god came out in my garden with me yesterday and i was listening to mark hall on my phone to one of some of the most beautiful lyrics that a man could ever write about our savior on the cross I'm crucified with Christ. Listen, Paul, Paul, uses, Paul uses the word mikros. I care very little about it. And then he uses elakistos. It is a derivative. It is a superlative form. For you rednecks, is good, gooder, and goodest. He uses the most superlative form. Paul says, I can't say this anymore. It's infinitesimal what I think about your opinion of me because I'm crucified with Jesus Christ. (laughs) Verse 4, he does the same thing. He says, my conscience is clear, but I want to tell you something. Even if my, you know what our problem is as human beings? I'm talking about your pastor. This is me, Jerry Gray. I'm telling you, my conscience is terrible. So I didn't do anything. Paul says, I can't even judge myself. The last person in the world I'm going to criticize and condemn is me. And you're just like me. You all right? I didn't do that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You know what? Let me tell you something. Even if you didn't do anything, listen to me. This is good. This is good preaching right here, I'm going to tell you. Because the Lord taught me this a long time ago, and I don't like it. what if you 're wrong, so what? Take responsibility for it anyway you 're the mature believer mature believer. you know why that 's true? You know when a husband and wife get to fighting if nobody gives listen for recon- listen for reconciliation to take place somebody 's got to die listen, he died and didn 't do anything wrong. If you want to be like Jesus, take a situation. <laughs> where you're in the right, and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Listen, can y'all say that with me? I'm sorry, I was wrong. That may be the first time any of have ever said that. You all right? Husbands are looking at their wives like, what in the world just happened up in the house of God this morning? (laughs) You all right? (laughs) Brother Jerry was anointed this morning, I'll tell you right now. All right. Paul uses the word for, for criticism. He says, I can't even criticize myself because I'm not right. Now, here's the last thing. Here's a great ministry lesson right here. Paul says in verse number 5, Paul says this, be patient. Paul, You see, are these good characteristics for the leader? These are good character. Listen, Paul says in verse 5, therefore, don't judge anything prematurely. Now, Holman Christian Standard missed it right here. The NIV nails it. And I hope you all learn that when I tell you the different words for the translations because I'm trying to prove to you that this King James argument is crazy. There's no sense in it. Sometimes the Greek word will have 15 to 20 and sometimes 50 different translations. And, And this word really means appointed time. It's the word kairos. That means appointed time. Don't judge it before the appointed time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring it to light, what is hidden in darkness, and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each person. Let me emphasize this again, to each person. I'm not going to be judged for you. I'm not going to be judged for the other preachers out there. I'm going to be judged for how Jerry Gray was faithful to the Lord. Time, listen, time reveals everything. Listen, one liner. I love these one liners. God's will cannot be found with impatience. Ooh. Many people have criticized me over the years and said, Brother Jerry, you need to deal with that. You need to step in right there. You step in right there. You step in right there. And God's taught me, sometimes, if you'll give something a little time, it'll resolve itself. You all right? That's just wisdom. Amen. See, I did learn some things along the way, y'all. I told you. When it doesn't, that's when you need a leader to step in and take care of it. Now, and the, re, the word kairos is the word appointed time. And so, you see, sometimes you step in, it's not the appointed time. Just let the Lord deal with it. Let the Lord handle it. You know, we have a saying that helps us with this that country folks love to say. You you give that boy enough rope, he'll hang himself. Mm -hmm. Just give it a little time. He'll mess around and hang himself. What what you think God's not working, oh yeah, he's working, he's working. You're praying for your family and their lives are a mess and you think, Lord, please help him, please help him, please help him. He's working. Just give him some time. He doesn't work like we work. He works differently. Amen? And here's what happens. Watch this. See, he'll bring it to light. Here's the Greek word, photizo. Y'all know the word photo? Y'all remember, I love this. Do y'all remember those old cameras we had with the bulbs you stick on the top of the camera? Wait, some of you young people, you ain't got a clue what I'm talking about. This, this, we had these cameras. You had to put the film in and load it and turn the knob. And then you had—you remember Christmas? And then when you took the picture, it looked like something you found off of Mars after it went. Whee- and the, y'all remember that sound? You remember? You can hear it now, can't you? And you could be outside and you flash that thing. And then, <laughs> then when you get your pictures back, the dog looks like this with red eyes. <laughs> you, you remember that? And then, and then the two, it had a square two, uh, cube on the top, and then it would turn. Quoop! Cost you a fortune to pay for all those terrible pictures you got. Brought the light, fotizo. That's what's going to happen. One day when Jesus comes, poof, he's going to put the light on it. And he says, the hidden darkness. He says, the, the kruptos. Kruptos, we get our word cryptic from that. The things that have been hidden, nobody knows about. One day, Jesus is going to come, and all of that is going to be clear. This is to each and every person. Just give it time. So our our pastor, he is a servant. He's a mystery manager. He has to be faithful to God and His Word no matter what anybody else does. You have to be crucified with Christ to take it if you're going to be a leader. Because you're not going to be everybody's favorite. And you just you just love Jesus and keep moving on. Amen? And then you have to be patient and hope. You know, it's hard. There's been some times in my life I just had to wait. Some times in my life people were very critical of me. Times in my life where people said terrible, terrible, terrible things about your pastor. And two years later, they were knocking on my door. God's made this clear, and I come to apologize. And you know what I did? I told him, I said, well, you sorry, joker. You didn't trust me then. Get out of my office. (laughs) Now, that's not what I said, because I'm a shepherd, and I know who I am. And I said, please come in. I've been waiting on you. I love you. Let's kneel and pray. Y'all all all right? Listen, You see, Adam and Eve, the Lord told them they were going to die if they sinned. They didn't believe him. And then even after they sinned, they didn't die. Spiritually, they died, but they had to wait. All right. God said through Noah, it's going to rain. <clears throat> People didn't believe him. He was proven right. God promised the Messiah. And it took about four or 5,000 years from the first time it was said for him to get here. But he came. He said that Jesus is coming again, too. And some of you that are listening to me right now are saying to yourself. Preachers have been talking about the rapture and the second coming for eons. It's just not going to happen. Man, we're we're modern people. This is where we are now. We're brilliant. I mean, we're living in a day and an age where men can have babies. I mean, get with it, preacher. I mean, we're brilliant people, right? We know everything. I want to tell you, leadership is tough. But I promise you, it's so rewarding. You know when it's the best. <clears throat> when Sanford Gwynn came, I said, "Listen, would y'all help me?" We we had some folks doing the, the committee, a the baptismal committee, and they they had to leave, and they they left, and I said, "Would y'all help me with that?" And I said, "I promise you." And every every person that's ever been a part of the baptismal committee, I said, "It's the funnest committee on the church. It's the funnest committee there is." You see people at their best, and I said. It is the most joyous, wonderful time, the things that go on back there, and praying with the kids, and you know what? When that happens, here's what it says to me. And then afterwards, I'll get pictures, the parents that are up there taking pictures, or or Miss Kay, and they'll send me the pictures, and I keep them all. And I can go back through, and I can see the kids getting baptized and see their lives getting turned around. And, and then the Lord says, Jerry, that's why you're doing what you do. Or when a family comes and they're hurt and somebody's made a mistake and their pastor says to them, you know, somebody who had failed miserably in marriage, came to me and he said, Brother Jerry, please forgive me. Do you you know the emotion that goes on in my office when I can pull them up to me and say, your pastor loves you? We've all failed. When somebody says, Pastor, I went away, I moved away, I went to college, I got addicted to meth. Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to get clean. And, and, and they get clean. And then they, get a, they go to college and they get a job. And now they're making four times as much money as I do. And, uh, and I said, praise the Lord. Can you come tie that Woodlake? So, yeah, and the Lord says, Jerry, that's why you're doing what you do. Because there's growth and there's freedom and, and a glorious life in serving Jesus. Let's be the leaders that God has called us to be. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, it's very simple. If you're serious with him right now, you can just say, Jesus, I believe the truth. I want you to reveal the truth, the mystery of the gospel to me, and I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. That's faith, and that's salvation. Uh, The doors of the church are open this morning. If you've been visiting with us and you say, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be a leader. This is where I want to serve. This is where I want to grow. Come be a part of it. Come. If you just need a word of prayer this morning or you want to just pour it out to the Lord right here, uh, somebody once said to one of my staff people, well, I don't go to the altar because I thought the altar was just for people who had problems. It is. I have problems. Maybe you hadn't noticed, but we need him. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, Father.